Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Two Planker Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Schaefer, and today on the show, we have Mr. Alex Hall. A-Hall is coming off big wins at the X Games and the Beijing Olympics, so I wanted to check in with him and hear about how his year is going so far. Episodes like these usually bring in a lot of new listeners, so if you're new to the show, please follow us on Spotify, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, however you listen to the show, get plugged in to help us grow and keep getting guests. Also, if you want to submit viewer questions, follow us on Instagram at twoplankerpod to get in on that for the next episodes. And yeah, that's all for the intro. Hope you guys like it. All right, here we are back with another episode. And Alex, would you like to introduce yourself for everyone? Uh, yep, my name is A. Hall, uh, 23 years old. Grew up in Switzerland, but I live in Salt Lake now. Hell yeah. And where are you coming to us from right now? Uh, I'm actually in Vermont for a couple days before heading to Europe, so a little, little stop over here. Sweet. So, done a ton of research about you in the past three days, and uh, so I listened to a lot of the podcasts you did. It seems like in 2021, you did three podcasts in like a two-month span right after Real Ski. So, I think what we'll do yeah. is like we'll cover everything from like June 2021 on, if that's cool with you. That sounds great. <laughs> Sick. So, um, I mean, just to give like everyone a little context, you want to do like a quick 30-second, like where you're from, how you end up in the U.S. from Switzerland? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually born in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, so that's how I got the U.S. passport. And then um, my parents moved to Switzerland when I was one. Um, and I grew up there until I was 16. Um, and then I was pretty into skiing. So I was trying to decide whether I'd go to like a, a school that allowed me to ski a little more than usual because I was just a weekend warrior back in Switzerland. So uh, I was deciding between a couple schools and it ended up kind of choosing the one up in Park City, which is super sweet. A bunch of people have gone there like Joss and Colby and stuff. So uh, that one seemed dope. And my, my uh, dad's parents live in Salt Lake. So it wasn't like a super heavy move kind of because my family was still uh, when I moved to the U.S. when I was 16, my family stayed in Switzerland. So I kind of moved solo, but my grandparents were in Salt Lake, so it didn't feel like too big of a change. And and I'd been to Salt Lake a couple times before, so it kind of seemed like it made sense. And then, yeah, it's been sick ever since. I've kind of been based out of Salt Lake since then. So, cool. And so, I mean, you've accomplished so much already. And this, I, I I would like to note that you are the high school graduating class of 2016, and so am I. So nice. that was cool. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, um, cool. So like I said, last time everyone really heard from you in a long form was real ski. So after that, you kind of got into like the Olympic, the Olympic cycle and releasing security notice. So, uh, like which one was on your plate first? Were you wrapping up the video and then moving into like a more comp mindset? How did that work? Yeah, the video was pretty chill, honestly, because I filmed that all that whole video despite like releasing it in whatever it was December or something um I filmed that all the year before during real ski so I had a couple real ski shots and then a lot of just extras that I got during filming for real ski that we didn't end up using and then 
um, after real ski. Uh, it snowed a little bit in March, just around Utah. So I got maybe five or 10 more clips around Utah. Um, so that I wasn't really like thinking about that too much. I was just kind of throwing it together all summer with Owen. Um, but it was like just on the back burner kind of, I mean, it was only a seven or eight minute cut. So it's not like a ton of work, you know, it's just kind of putting together, putting that together with Owen. And then I wanted to release it like at some point in the fall, but it was nice. Cause I didn't like have it planned or anything. Like, I didn't really have any, um, I don't know, guidelines I had to fall from sponsors or any of that stuff. So it was kind of just all up to me. And so it was, it was super loose, like with music selection and, and when I wanted to release it. So initially I was thinking, you know, October, November, but then Owen and I were kind of being zooted and like, didn't really get it done. So we just kept pushing it back, pushing it back. And then that just finally kind of came out when it came out, but it wasn't something that I had to like focus on that versus, you know, skiing for whatever, getting ready for the the season or anything but yeah I was they were overlapping a little I mean that's the main reason it kind of didn't come out until December was because I was in Europe from September pretty much from September until the end of November straight so um, I didn't really want to release it before then because I knew I wanted to like get home and um, I don't know just put some final touches on it with Owen instead of like because we were just talking to each other on the phone and stuff, but it's always better when you can like both be looking at the screen and, and figuring it out. So waited for that. And then we got that done and then, and then pretty much dropped like the next week. Yeah. Sick. So the, uh, so the super fans will know that like that you and Owen have been, have been working together for a while. So how did you and Owen meet each other and then go on to, you know, film magma magma two, And then now your most recent video. Yeah, so we knew Owen, Hunter and I knew Owen a little bit um, before Ma the first Magma. I didn't know him super well. Uh, I was kind of on Hunter. Um, Hunter, I think, had met him, uh, I think it was at Wendell's the year before, and they'd kind of become homies. And then I knew Owen a little, but not super well. And then, um, yeah, that, that first, that when we filmed Magma, was kind of when I first got to know Owen super well. And that was a couple years ago now. And I mean, the first Magma, we were just living in our cars like a month straight at Hood. So you get to know someone pretty well, pretty quick. Um, but yeah, ever since then, we've just been super tight homies. And um, I love working with him, love shooting with him, love hanging with him. Uh, I've done a bunch of road trips with him. I think it was like right after the second Magma, we like been filming in Utah for a couple months. And we were like so just done with it. We were like, damn, we got to just go chill. And so Oe and I and a couple of his homies, we went and just did like a fat road trip from Southern California all the way up to Oregon along the coast and went surfing and stuff for a couple months. So that was super fun. But yeah, no, I love I love Owen and his like the best. I think the best filmer I know in my opinion. He's just so good with his work and he knows exactly what he's doing like with the filming, but also the editing is like the best editor. So just work with him is a blessing and it's nice when I've I've realized now after because this year I, I filmed quite a bit but some of it was with Owen and some was on my own just with Hunter you know kind of just doing our own thing depending on you know when Owen had time and uh it's real easy to forget how reliable Owen is and just like having a real good filmer by your side because you don't have to stress about like getting the shot you don't have to stress about you know what they're gonna do because you know they're gonna be dialed so um having something like that super key, I think, to making, making good videos and just skiing with confidence. Yeah, I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Uh, so what's the difference between like filming with someone like him 
and uh, you'll have to forgive me if I pronounce it wrong. Uh, like filming with uh, your real ski filmer, Etienne. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yep. Yeah, so what's like the difference between their two styles? They definitely have super different film styles. I think in terms of their work and their work ethic, it's actually really similar. Uh, Etienne's also so dialed, it's like crazy. Um, but yeah, definitely different camera setups, different styles. I'd say Etienne's a little more traditional. He's got like the real big cams, real HD stuff going, which I still love, which I think is sick. But sometimes it's nice just to have a little more low-key approach, you know. Um, but they're both real similar. They're both really dedicated. Um, they work really hard. They love what they do. So they're into it, you know, and I think a huge part of being a, a really good filmer is not only how good you are at filming, but how involved you are with helping with spots and the vision and all that stuff. So I've definitely worked with filmers before where, you know, they're, they're really good at their camera work, but they're not super into helping the actual skiing process or you know the build or whatever it takes to get the clip whereas Etienne and Owen like every spot we'll go to both of them like they're working just as hard as you to push all the snow and or like for magma Owen's digging the whole time and then he's gonna film the whole time as well so like it's just when you're working with a filmer I think the most important thing is you want to see them put in just as much work as you uh because you're both trying to reach like the same end goal which is you know make the best video you can so i think yeah having a, a filmer with a ton of work ethic is like the most you could ask for and then everything else kind of just falls into place i feel like yeah sick so unfortunately that'll probably be the end of uh the video talk because you got so many different aspects to you and this is a huge year for comp so what was your season like like what was the road to the olympics really because you know, if somebody on the outside, it's hard to like keep track of, you know, oh, this was the World Cup and that got me these points. And then I did this contest with these points. So like, what's the road for you to actually end up at the Olympics? Yeah, it's hectic. Um, <laughs> it's actually funny because there's always like all this pre-Olympic talk. It's, it's honestly kind of annoying, I think. But in like the seasons leading up, or the season leading up and then over the summer, we keep getting like, I just remember getting these random emails like, you gotta do these events this is your olympic criteria blah 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 and like i never even read the olympic criteria i told myself i wouldn't i was just like it doesn't change anything you know i'm still gonna i want to ski my best at every event i do it's like why do i need to read this criteria and obviously it's easier said than done like you'll hear something you get caught up in it but for the most part i was just telling myself i want to ski like usual treat it like a normal season as much as i can even though it's going to be more competing and and not overthink it too much because that's i think last time around i was a lot younger but i don't know i kind of just like overthought it too much and i took the fun out of it a little bit it was still a fun season but uh i don't know i remember just like getting all wound up in these qualifying events going to the olympics and in the end i was kind of like oh that was that was dope but i don't know why i put so much pressure on myself it was still just a ski event in the end so this year yeah just taking a different approach and and uh trying to have you know more fun with it and not not overthink it too much but definitely like go as hard as i can i mean i went to europe for for a long time this fall um i don't know if it was necessarily because it was an olympic year just because i really felt like skiing but I was over there from the start of September until the end of November, pretty much. So it was like two and a half months over there, did a ton of skiing and like for sure having a good like time in the fall and like skiing well in the fall can translate a ton to your season. And 
uh this year i just felt like yeah we got a ton of good days uh had a ton of fun on the slopes and like learned a bunch of new tricks and stuff so um i don't know yeah that translates really well into the rest of the season kind of if you have like a good fall time or like a good fall period because it just kind of brings your confidence up so that was the main thing for me it was just ski a bunch in the fall and like trying you know just feel really i don't know on point on my skis i guess mm-hmm. and then kind of let it go from there so when does like the actual competing start um let's see there was for the olympics our first qualifier i think our first qualifier I don't, honestly i don't even i think it was a qualifier but we had a slope style world cup in stubai in the fall i think it was the end of november and um yeah that course was tough it was like super weird it's usually like these real small jumps but it's really all really tight together and um yeah i couldn't i didn't really put down a good run i was trying some new some new stuff that i like wasn't quite dialed on but i felt like going for so didn't do well that one and then next one was a big air and steamboat which was i think right at the end of november or start of december right in that window um so that was our first u.s qualifier we had that one and then um we had do tour which was like a week after that then we had mammoth x games and then the olympics and this year was kind of weird the the main reason i didn't really know what was happening with the criteria like didn't really like want to understand too much is like there's this double like it used to be just u.s qualifiers or like or like there used to be just be qualifier events, but now it's like there's qualifier events, but you also go off the fist points list and this combination thing. And then because of COVID, I think a lot of points were being frozen or like carried over from past seasons. So I think people had rankings from like a couple seasons back. So I didn't even really understand what was going on. And at a certain point I was like, oh, this is like way too complicated for me to understand. So I'm going to try and just, I don't know, just go with it. Like if I ski well enough, hopefully I make the Olympics, but it's not worth like trying to, you know, think about all these points and then, Oh, were my results from last year good enough for me to make the Olympics? Cause like, you really don't want to be like holding on and like thinking, all right, hopefully my results from last year make it so that I can make the Olympics this year. It's more like I realized now, especially in retrospect, like it's, good that I took that approach where I wanted to just qualify right before and like be on point coming into the Olympics and feel like I earned it instead of like getting there from results that I had a long time ago if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so yeah I don't know but it was a it was a whirlwind of events there was like an event every week pretty much and somehow it was super fun I usually get burned out if I compete too much but like the group of the group of homies on the U.S. team are really really dope and everyone we're competing against like i feel like i'm such close friends with everybody that like every trip is so much fun and and then i also was able to balance it out a bunch with um i actually filmed a bunch of street between all these events whenever i could i was squeezing in like week-long uh street trips and that just like helps me reset and like fully forget about the comps and kind of like film have fun with my homies and then when it's game time like switch it back over which i feel felt like kept it really refreshing for me yeah what do you like your uh what do the coaches and sponsors think when in between comps they see like clips of you out out in the streets like hitting sketchy <laughs> like rusted handrails 
Uh, I don't know exactly. I, I think the sponsors, I mean, they don't really know what's going what's going on. You know, I'm not like updating my sponsors all the time. Like they they they're down with whatever I do. I think for my coaches, they never say anything. I, I've always wondered like what they think, but my coaches on the US team, Skogan and Dave are like such homies. They like totally get where I come from as a skier and like why I do it, why I have fun doing it and like what makes me want to compete. So like they never, they've never mentioned anything when I'm, I mean, they'll call me to like try and plan or whatever the next comp, you know, for travel and that sort of stuff. And I'm, I'll tell them I'm in like wherever Wyoming on a street trip or something. And they're like super down. They never, they never mention anything. So um, not everyone seems to be pretty, pretty game pretty game and pretty down with it at least to my face i don't know about behind my back though <laughs> yeah so like behind the scenes with this team because you i mean in the research i did it seemed like you know you were big into soccer for a little while what's the vibe like with the u.s free ski team versus like a team sport are you guys all yeah it's kind of hard to put into words but you know what's what are the vibes between you know a, a team sport and an individual sport where you're kind of competing with the guys that are on your same team quote unquote yeah for sure um no i know what you mean and i i think honestly it's kind of crazy because i think this year especially and i mean maybe last year too um it's been pretty similar because in a team sport obviously you know you're all kind of competing for the same reason you want to beat whatever your team against but you're also like all friends on the team and I think with the team now we're all like such a similar age and and we're all such tight homies that obviously we're competing against each other and like on a year like this you know it's whatever there's six or eight of us on the pro team and then only four of us get to go to the Olympics so that's like kind of tough but I feel like we're all we would have all been stoked for any of us to go it's just kind of skiing your best your personal best and like not worrying too much about everyone else and I think if from what it seemed like we all did a pretty good job at that like not getting too caught up in like the whole whatever qualifying points and all that stuff and trying to like beat each other for the whatever the two spots or the four spots so I think we're all just super supportive and and out there to have a good time and I I know it sounds super cheesy but it's like it's pretty true and I think like you know, we have coaches on the team and they're, they're homies. They, they help a lot and they especially help with travel and logistics and all that stuff and just being up there for moral support. But like, I feel like a lot of my, you know, what I learn and feedback I get is actually from the homies on the team. Like I'll, you know, frequently I'll go up to, you know, Colby, Mac or whoever, and I'll ask like whether they think this trick or this trick would be doper in my slope run or, you know, we'll work on like a trick together at one of these like camps in Europe in the fall or something. So I think getting a lot of feedback from your friends on the team is like, that's how we get as good as we are is kind of feeding off each other and like helping each other out with tricks or just talking about stuff. So I think I wouldn't be where I am right now in terms of like who I am or my skiing ability without like any of the homies on the team. So it's pretty, pretty dope dynamic and I know obviously there's like the flip side where people think like you know the world cups and the teams and the team dynamic which I agree with sometimes is a little overwhelming like sometimes it feels like it'd be more fun if there wasn't like this crazy all these national teams and all the stuff and that's why it's really really refreshing to go to a place like Kimbo Sessions or a Slush Cup or something where you're just in a big group of homies and there's no 
you're not, you know, you're not staying with Team USA or Team Canada or Team Norway. You're just rooming with whoever your homies with or whoever you got like assigned to. And it's just sick to like both are really cool, I think, which is which is pretty awesome about a sport. And I wish we had a little more of the, you know, just all hanging together without the teams and that stuff. But even on these trips and like these World Cups, it's not like I'm just hanging out with the US guys. Like, yeah, I'm rooming with them, but I try and like go ski with everyone else as much as I can or like after um, we'll go do something after skiing. It's been tough with COVID the last couple of years, but like usually we're all trying to do some some form of hanging at some point. Mm-hmm. So when you're traveling with the U.S. team, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys are staying like in the same hotel room. Like you usually have to, you know, get a double room with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's Colby and me in a room or sometimes I'll be with Mac, but Mac and Cody usually room together and it's Colby and I. Um, so yeah, we're usually in like a, a room with two queen beds. Sometimes though, they've been pretty good about getting our own rooms, which I have like no preference, honestly. I know that like Mac and I especially are pretty down with like just sharing rooms cause it's, we don't want to be like loners. So we're just, we're usually sharing rooms or like for a lot of these camps that we do in the fall, we just got like a big, big house or apartment, which is super fun. We, we, when we went to Austria, Dubai, we were there for like two or three weeks and we were staying in this like super dope house that had like some fun some fun games and like we were playing cards every night and it was, it was pretty sweet so it's definitely i think we all enjoy more when we can get like a big crib or like an apartment where we can all vibe together yeah is there anyone that like when they're doing the room assignments you're like dude i really hope i don't have to room with so and so like they snore really bad or you know one thing Not or the other really. Not that i know of maybe i'm one of those guys i have no clue but i feel like we're all pretty <laughs> like down with whoever it kind of just ends up being like the same people as usual um that room together but like yeah i I really don't care who i'd room with like it'd be i'd be fine with any of them you know (laughs) yeah that's sick um so do they let you uh does the team help you bring anyone along with you like your girlfriend or your family or anybody like that um not really i mean especially with covid it's been like pretty tight ship like we got test into a bubble and it's like just us pretty much so and they're not not really that down for us like have people visit or that sort of stuff just because we're like we're covid testing every single day at these events and like it seems a little strict sometimes but like also i get it you know they want no one to test positive and they want to keep whatever i like i i'd like to have you know go hang out with my family or like have my girlfriend over or whatever but then obviously i don't want to you know, put anyone else in a weird situation, like if they're sketching on COVID or whatever. But like, if we do want to have someone come over and hang, like even if the coaches aren't down, usually like we'll at least check with like all our teammates, you know, and like the the boys are always down to like have people over, honestly. So we just kind of keep it low key and try and play it like kind of safe. But for the most part, we're just kind of keeping to ourselves at a lot of these events. Yeah. Where does uh like where does X Games fit into the whole the whole season? You know, it's right in January, so that's getting like super close to the Olympics. Do you know you've, you at that point you already know if you're going to the Olympics or not, correct? Yeah, so we went straight from Mammoth, pretty much straight from Mammoth uh, World Cup to X Games, and Mammoth was our last uh, Olympic qualifier. So at that point, we knew the team right after the event, and then yeah, that that was kind of put X games in I wouldn't say a weird spot, but like an interesting spot where there was, you know, some people who ended up not going to X games because 
either they got COVID or they felt a little sketch on COVID. So um, I know some people were thinking that the team was also kind of being a little bit on edge in terms of whether they, I mean, there wasn't a question whether they'd let us go or not. Cause it's, you know, if the team didn't go, I'd still go to X games, but it was just of whether they'd like send a full staff to X games and stuff, which they still ended up doing, which I thought was really sick. Cause I know a lot of other national teams didn't. So like the Canadian team didn't send any staff or coaches and made their athletes pay for their own stuff at X games um, because they didn't want to, get you know whatever get their athletes COVID or something right before so it was pretty sweet that the, the the u.s team you know was down to send the coaches and like get us a place to stay and stuff and um i don't know for me i was just kind of thinking of it as like normal x games like i didn't want to like yeah the olympics was after and like the main thing i think everyone was thinking about was COVID, not like getting hurt or anything but for me i was just thinking I mean, I'm just going to treat it like a normal year. I want to go to X Games and, like, do my best. And, yeah, the Olympics is after that. But, like, one step at a time, you know, I don't need to be thinking too far ahead. Yeah. What was your reaction when you found out that that you're – also, this is something I think a lot of people don't know, but this is your second Olympics. Like, you went to the one in 2018. So what was your what was your reaction when you found out that you get to go back and get another shot at it? I was stoked for sure. I think the main thing I was hyped on was just – um going with the boys I was going to be going with you know Colby Mac and Nick and um last time around I just felt like I was super young and in in a different spot than everyone else I went with especially like mentally but also career-wise so I was kind of just like almost felt like kind of a loner at the last one like I was hanging out with mostly like uh Finn Billis and like Yona Kangas um not even like really any of the u.s guys just because they were so busy with media and and all that stuff because of where they were in their career and they were you know quite a bit further than me and and this time around i just felt like i was on the same page as everyone that i was going with which was way more way more fun because we just all got to hang a bunch and i felt like i was way more just kind of mature and i was able to take everything in a little more which made it way more fun so we like went to events and got to watch a bunch of different things and I don't know I just like enjoyed it quite a bit more so I think that was the main thing I looked forward to was just the group of guys I was going with and obviously you know getting another shot and like knowing that I could go there and you know I was skiing good um, up until then I'd podiumed a couple events so knowing I'd have a good shot at doing well was pretty sweet too but yeah again like this whole season for me has at least been about trying to not put too much pressure about myself on myself and just like having fun with it, which is way easier said than done. Cause you know, it always kind of gets to you, but I think trying to stay in that mindset has helped me has helped me so much with keeping it fun. And I think skiing well as well. So sick. Yeah. So you, you show up to X games and uh, you cleaned up pretty good this year. You got, you meddled in every event, correct. That you uh, competed in. Yep. Yeah, I got slope, big air, and uh, knuckle huck podium, which was pretty sweet. Yeah. So the big air, that's where we first talked. So, uh, so I just wanted to like go through this. So you get, so you do the nineteen eighty Buick, you get first, and then you get knocked down to second by Edward, and then you get knocked down to third by Mac, and then you get knocked down to fourth by Teal. So it was literally your last drop where you kind of pulled it all together. What were you thinking? Like, do you, do you even think about the positions or like you just trying to send the biggest thing every time? Cause you were, you know, you weren't going to medal if, if you didn't land something on that last run. Yeah. I didn't even know what 
position I was in dropping in for that because you in big air it's jam format so you're lapping through so quick with the sleds you don't even really have time to check what spot you're in so before that drop I, I had no clue that I was in fourth um I didn't really know what position I was in that whole comp but my strategy going into into big air was actually not to do a I told myself I wasn't going to do a 19 because I wanted to do the dub pretzel um, and then I wanted to do a, a good switch 18. And then in the jam format, you usually get like five or six hits. I think this time we got six. So I landed like what I wanted to land my first two hits. And then I was kind of like, oh, damn, I need to like do some other tricks. But I told myself I didn't want to just like go out there spinning as much as I can, which I ended up doing, which was like bummed me out a little bit. But obviously I was still hyped to land those tricks. But so yeah, I landed those first two that I really wanted to land. And then I was like, all right. And then everyone else started chucking like crazy. Like the level was insane. So I was kind of got inspired and stoked off the other boys. And I was just like, all right, I'll just go try and, you know, do the 19, see how that feels. And then I wasn't like, I, I was telling myself I definitely wasn't gonna do the 19, but I wasn't even thinking about the 21, like at all that whole week or like that night before. I didn't think about the 21 until like, and until like probably two like I think the run before that I did a switch 18 and just wanted to feel like feel out how much airtime I had and until after that switch 18 I wasn't even thinking 21 so I was kind of just like in the moment like might as well go for it since I got another hit left and yeah I don't know it worked out which was dope but it was also kind of just like a spin to spin to win uh vision which was like a little bit of a bummer but I'm not going to like downplay. I'm not going to be bummed on a new trick that I learned, you know, and then and like landed and survived. So like I'm hyped on that, but definitely would have been cool to like take a little different approach, but I'm, I'm not going to complain about, you know, doing well and skiing my best. So I was still super hyped. Yeah, that's sick. And so what was like the decision to, uh, to do a switch? Like, is it just, is it just an easier rotation for you starting switch? Yeah, for sure. It's like, so if you think like for me at least when i think about it the switch 21 is kind of similar to the the 19 but it's just a switch 180 into it um which i guess makes the trick easier because it's similar to something else i had done that night and uh but if you did it forward it would be like this whole different you'd have to do like a whole nother wrap in it which would be crazy i don't think i don't think anyone's done a forward one i think yeah people have done the 419 and the switch 21 but no one's done the forward 21 just because it's yeah, it's just a little harder for it, I think, especially to wrap into like an extra wrap. So um, I think that was just the main reason it seemed easier. Like a lot of, I think for a lot of us, like if you ask us, like switch tricks can be easier sometimes. So yeah, um, yeah I don't even know. Just like, I was like, well, it seems similar to 19. So might as well try it switch, I guess. Yeah. And, and what's up with the grab? At this point, it's your signature. I think it's a, probably just a, a way to spin faster now. Yeah, <laughs> initially it wasn't. Uh, I was actually really stoked. Like I, I learned that grab a long time ago and I definitely wasn't the first one to do it, but it's just like, I hadn't seen it from a ton of people. I think I probably got inspired by someone to like try something along those lines. Someone had done something similar. So, but yeah, I did that like a long time ago, probably six years ago. I was just doing like switch sevens and cork nines. And then I remember x games norway they had in the spring one year um in may 
on like a city big air, like a scaffolding. And I learned a 12 on that jump with a double grab. And I remember thinking like it, it was like really hard for me initially that grab, like with doubles. Cause it was like, it would lock me up so much. And um, yeah, it scored like super well at that event. I ended up messing my tricks up in finals and got fourth, but um, yeah. And then since, and then I just like got used to it and uh, got good at it. And it definitely like helps me spin with tricks i mean i think like i also do a lot of like the bigger spins with just like lead cuban or lead stale if you want to call it i don't even know what the difference is honestly but so like adding the double grab doesn't really make it any harder so i think to myself like all right i'll just try the double grab but yeah i don't know i ran with it for a couple of years now i'm pretty over it so uh and i like I mean, I didn't call it the Buick. Someone else called it that, like, on TV one time. So, I'm not really, like, super down with naming tricks. So, um, I definitely didn't call it that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just ran with it, and uh, it worked. It's It's been fun, honestly. It's, it's like a fun grab in the air. But, you know, you do anything too many times, and you get a little over it. So, yeah. I've been trying to drift away from it. I, I like, definitely – did it in some a lot of the big air comps this year but like haven't really been doing any in any of my slope runs and like you definitely won't catch me doing that grab and like on a regular day or like if i'm filming for you know an edit or something so i kind of just bust it out when i do it in the big air comps and um then leave it alone for the rest of the time (laughs) yeah dude it's funny like the media builds up this whole little world around like around your guys world they would have you think that like Alex Hall invented the Buick and it's his favorite grab ever. And he'll catch him. If you ever see him in the park, that's what he'll be doing. Like, do you guys pay attention to any of that? Or you just kind of let it be in the background? Um, I don't really pay attention to it too much. I mean, definitely. I heard like some of that stuff and it's like pretty funny. Like Wallish mentions it. Like every comp he'll like mention that grab. I don't even know if he was the one who invented it or invented the name or if it was someone else but i mean yeah it's i just i don't want to be known as the buick guy you know i feel like i do a lot more than that grab so <laughs> um but yeah it's funny that people are hyped on it i guess yeah that's funny man um so i mean in terms of like also on the topic of like paying attention to stuff do you guys ever pay attention to like the controversies with scoring because people every single year whether it's real ski or like a, like a slope event or, or big air, like there's always people online being like, Oh, this, that, and the other thing about the, about the scoring. So do you pay attention to that? Or do you guys like stay in your own lane? Um, I mean, we hear about it. I don't think we like go out and like read all this stuff about whatever is happening, but I mean, obviously you hear about it, but I think we're all pretty like used to it at this point. Cause there's controversy at every, like every event. It's like mm-hmm. if someone's going to say this guy should have won, someone's going to say that that guy should have won. That's a problem about a judge sport, you know? And that's like the beauty of our sport as well is that, yeah, it's judged and it's, you know, up to these individuals who are deciding whether our trick was good enough for them or whatever. But then that's why I love to film and do other things because there's so many aspects to skiing and it's, it's not all about this one aspect where, some random guys deciding whether your run was good or not. Cause like, you know, who really knows whether your run was better than anyone else's run all depends on the individual. Like it's so up in the air as to what's harder than another thing that it's just kind of up to interpretation. And the, I think the judges are pretty, are 
pretty dialed at this point. I mean, they've obviously been dialed, but I think it's been pretty cool to see like what they've been rewarding and, and, you know, harshing on certain things. So um, I think it's pretty refreshing, like the judges take, and we've all spoken to a lot of the judges and they're all really dope guys. And they, I think the main thing as an athlete or like a competitor that you want to see is that the judges really care. It's like, yeah, they're going to make mistakes because it's impossible to be perfect. Um, and with a judge sport, I mean, you can't even define perfect because it's going to, it's a different de definition for anybody as to like whose run was the best run. But as long as the judges really care about, about skiing and wanting to do their best, I think that's like the most we can ask for, which I feel like I've really noticed from like the judges that have been judging us the last couple of years is that they truly care and like they pay a ton of attention to skiing. Like they're, they're stoked on skiing. They're always watching videos and like, that's the most you could hope for. So everything else kind of just comes along with it. And yeah, there's going to be times where I feel like I should have gotten first or third and I got 10th or like maybe I won an event and I probably should have gotten third or something. So it kind of all depends, but my main thing is like, I always say it goes your way sometimes and it doesn't go your way other times. So like sometimes you'll feel like you'll get screwed and you'll get fourth or 10th. And sometimes you'll win and maybe you feel like you weren't sure if you should have won, maybe you didn't, like you deserved it but it goes around and comes around i think for the most part obviously some people who like get super unlucky or get feel like they get underscored a lot but for me personally and from what i've seen i think it's kind of just uh yeah it just kind of depends sometimes you're on the lucky side of the draw sometimes you're not yeah and the and the judges like communicate to you guys what they're looking for correct or at least to your coaches uh not really i mean they don't like go to the at a start of the event, they won't be like, all right, these tricks are going to score well. Or like you hit that rail, <laughs> yeah. it's going to score well. It's kind of just like up to us um, what we think is going to score well. And I think we know, I mean, obviously like we know what the judges kind of are looking for, but in the end, it's just about doing like the most difficult thing you can do and make it look good. And I think for, you know, any of us on like the top, top level or like in these World Cups or X Games, like we all as skiers pretty much know what that should look like or like what that is to, you know, do your hardest run possible. So, um, but yeah, there's never ever like a discussion I'd say with like, Oh, we're looking for this. You gotta do this. Like, I feel like that would kind of ruin our sport. So it's pretty sweet that it's still just fully up to our interpretation. And then um, you see what the judges, you know, what they're down with and what they're not down with. And I think to add on to that, this is maybe for a deeper discussion, but um, it was pretty interesting at the Olympics. They were doing this section by section scoring and they've been doing that at a couple events this year, but what ended up happening is they did it in qualies. They did the section by section scoring and then you can go online and you can see all the sections of that everyone got like each score that everyone got on the specific feature. And that's, we've had that in finals before, which I think is fine because you, you just, you know, whatever happens in the end, like you see your results and then, yeah, sure. After the, uh, the event, you can go check what scores you got on those features. And maybe if you think you got a low score on something like, yeah, that sucks, but you can go talk to the judges after maybe. But what happened with the Olympics was they did it in qualifying. They did the section by section. And I know for a fact, myself included, like qualifiers was the, was the day before finals. And then that evening, I'm sure everyone went and looked at everyone else's sections to see what was scoring well and what wasn't scoring well. And then I think that messed with a lot of people's heads, myself included. Like you see this rail get scored really well or this trick and you think like, oh, that trick isn't that hard for me. So I should just go do that trick. 
because it'll score well because the judges are scoring it well now and I like had some some doubts in my mind about what run I wanted to do for finals you know I was like thinking of switching up my last rail because it didn't score that well in qualies and I was only going to change it slightly and I could maybe just go do like a more tech like what you would call rail trick and I think that's what was going through a lot of people's heads um the night before finals and luckily I just ended up sticking with what I wanted to do and kind of my guns, but I think it definitely messed some people up trying to switch too much before finals and kind of switching their run up too much for the judges, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Dude, it must be exhausting, like thinking about all this shit, right? Like having to think about like what the what the judges prefer instead of just like doing what like doing whatever tricks feel good to you. Like it gets tiring, right? For sure, yeah, definitely is, gets tiring. But then I think that's yeah like that's the main reason this season has been so special for me is i really haven't thought about that that much like for sure i can't just claim i didn't think about it at all because then otherwise i'd go do cork threes down the run but like for the most part i've kept it so i think true to what i want to do that it's been really refreshing and really fun and not hard to think about these slope runs because i just go out and i'm like okay that seems like a really hard trick, but also seems like I'm going to have a ton of fun doing it. And so I'm going to go do that. And like that, that's what like my Olympic run was all about was just T to B like pretty much all the way through the course. I was just like thinking of tricks that I'd have a ton of fun doing, but that would also be really hard for me. And it was like this for me personally, like this perfect kind of, um, I don't know, I guess compromise of like doing tech and like what you would call, more comp oriented tricks and just like having fun with it. And I think that's what like has kept the season so interesting for me. Yeah. Sick. And so before we fully depart from X games, so you won real ski last year and the fan favorite. So in theory, you would have gotten reinvited to real ski, but they didn't have one this year. Do you have any uh, behind the scenes insight into what, what the hell happened with real ski? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm bummed that didn't happen this year. I think if it would have happened, I wouldn't have done it just because, uh, with something like real ski, like I've always told myself, if I do do it, like I'm going to put 110% of my effort into it as much as I can. And with how many events we had this year, I don't know if I would have found enough time to do it. So I don't know if I would have done it, but yeah, I was, I was bummed that it didn't happen. You know, I think it's such a great opportunity for for especially street skiers and, you know, people coming up through the ranks. Um, if they put out a really sick video part the year before to try and get a spot in that, because it's just a, you know, a bigger audience than maybe is used to watching street skiing, which I think is really cool. And I'm not really sure why it didn't happen. I mean, I knew that like, obviously it's tough with whatever budgets are going on at X games and, and like trying to make the whole thing work. I saw a little more behind the scenes, like being part of it last year and talking to like some of the TV producers who were making the show and stuff. It's just like tough to make it work with money. There's not a ton of money like in it. And like, we don't get a ton of money to do it or like to make it. So um, I think just budgets were tough. And then there was a couple things that were controversial last year with like leaking shots on Instagram and people getting pissed off and all this I think all this extra stuff of, I mean, obviously controversy and people talking about your event is like, you know, like they say, any sort of media is good media in in a way. Like if you're getting attention, it's a good thing. But at a certain point, I feel like there was also quite a bit of just negative things I saw and like myself included, like I was bummed they leaked random clips on Instagram before things even came out or like the results or whatever, like people were bummed on that. And 
if you're X Games, I think you're seeing a lot of this stuff and you're thinking, especially for some of the producers who are like just down to earth people and like surprisingly have a ton of knowledge about the ski industry. And like one of the main guys who, who was making it last year's name is Tyler Hamlet, who, you know, has worked a ton with poor boys and like made all their movies and that sort of stuff. So I think for someone like that to put so much effort, cause they really do put so much effort into creating this whole show. Like they have different X games, producers and filmers go to these locations to shoot us you know doing our thing like Etienne and I and they put so much work into creating this show traveling around and like creating this big piece to then see a bunch of negative hype and like people hating on it I think if you're a producer putting all this work into it you kind of think to yourself well I just spent like four months working on this as hard as I could and there's a bunch of people out there who like aren't bummed on what or aren't stoked on what they're seeing it's like probably not i mean i'm sure it's not the main reason i think it's more money related and sponsor related in terms of what x games has going on but i'm sure that didn't help and i'm not that's not to say that it was all negative i mean there was a ton of you know stoked people i think people really appreciated the edits and obviously there was controversy results and you know this time it was pow and street combined which i i've certainly had mixed feelings about um but uh but yeah, I know. I hope it comes back because it's it's a really sweet event, and I think it gives people a ton of chances. And whether it's you know just just street or a mix like it was Pow and Street or whatever you want to do, or whether even if it's just like they bring back the real ski, the backcountry version, I think those are all super dope, and they give they give film skiers a, a huge opportunity to make money and also to make something that you know more people hopefully are going to see. So it'd be dope to see it come back, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And it gives the filmers a chance to actually win an X Games medal for for not skiing, which is kind of sick. Yeah, yeah. Etienne's got one sitting at home. Nice X Games gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> That's fire. So, all right, so Olympics. So what was the process? It looked like I was following along in your guys' stories. It looks like there was a lot of fanfare, like, even from leaving the U.S. Like, did they just, like, literally roll out the red carpet for you guys and just make a whole thing out of it? Yeah, it was pretty funny. The departure was definitely <laughs> a little extravagant. I mean, so what they had us do is they got us on a, like a private charter flight because of COVID and trying to keep us on this bubble. So we went to LA first and did like what we they call team processing. So we got like all of our gear, did a bunch of COVID testing, filled out a bunch of different forms and all that stuff. And then from there they flew not the whole u.s team because like the pipe guys showed up later and stuff like a good chunk of the u.s team like so freeze you know anything from free skiing to ice skating or whatever and it was like maybe i don't know i'd say there was like 100 athletes on that flight maybe more plus a lot of coaches and staff so it was like a pretty packed packed flight like full-on just massive plane with like a whole team usa which was like pretty cool um they stuck me in first class which i was hyped on i don't know how they decided who was going in first class or not i think it's because i'm tall or something but i i took it i've never flown first class international so i was down and um yeah so we like departed this like private hangar zone in la somewhere and we had a bunch of people come and watch it was like pretty funny honestly <laughs> it was kind of weird but um it got us all hyped and then yeah, we were just booling on this flight that went from LA to Korea and we had to do a layover in Korea so they could switch the staff, but we they wouldn't let us get off the plane 
So we landed in Korea and we're like just on the runway for two hours and then did another couple hours to China. So I think we were on that plane for, I think it was like 17 hours or something. So it was pretty long time on the plane, but it was, it was pretty fun because it was like, yeah, all like team USA athletes. I got to meet a bunch of people and like I was in first class. So I got to sleep and like eat good food. So it was like, honestly, pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> like in terms of like the packing up, are you seeing like all the gear from all these different sports? And you're like, dude, why do like, why do those skiers have guns? What the hell is going on? Like, are you yeah. looking at all the other athletes? Not really. I think, I mean, the, for sure, like, I, we were looking at all the athletes, like, they had, like, everyone's got their own bags they got to bring in stuff. But I think the main thing I noticed in terms of, like, it was just, like, absurd how much stuff they gave us. Like, our opening, closing ceremony kits, then we had, like, our ski gear, and then we had, like, our village wear. So we, I think we all flew with four, four bags and a ski bag to china which is like absurd because like just managing four like usually i i'm like bummed if i have a suitcase and a ski bag you know so like managing four bags and a ski bag and like when we landed in china like taking it on and off all these different buses and like getting into the village was just like so overwhelming but that was the main thing it was just like way too much gear <laughs> <laughs> what was up with all the uh all the fits it looked like one day you guys like like just went to like ralph Lauren and got decked out how did, what was that process like yeah so that was in la so ralph Lauren's like the opening and closing ceremony sponsor so they like deck us out in these crazy like opening closing ceremony kits and they have like a lady there who's measuring your measurements and like getting you all this fitted stuff which i was like is kind of funny because all of us as like free skiers were in there trying sizes i'm like oh like can i get this size like this feels good and it's like a an xl or a dub x i think she threw me in like a medium or something like it was the most fitted thing i've worn in years <laughs> and so that was pretty funny and then yeah ralph friend gives us some like stuff to wear in the village just like whatever village gear they call it so just random pants and like sweatpants and hoodies and that sort of stuff and then nike's more like the village wear sponsor so they give us like some shoes to wear around and like they gave us like some more snow boot type of things that were actually super nice because it was really cold in the mountain village um that we were staying at so we just get kitted in like all these different clothes and then it was kind of fun like you get to wear different kits like most of the days and just like the first like five days we were there because we took that private charter over um we had like five days I think where we did absolutely nothing because our first practice day for big air didn't start till a couple days after opening ceremony so like in those days all of our main like activity was just like checking our kits out and like looking at the clothes and stuff which like at least gave us something to do <laughs> yeah what's a young gun like uh like mac forehand doing at his first olympics getting all this free shit is he just like i'm just trying to imagine because you guys are all so young he was hyped. We were all stoked on like the gear. Mac was definitely hyped on like checking everything out. And like, we were like coordinating our kits. So we were matching and stuff for the first couple of days, which was pretty funny. We then by like the fifth day, we were pretty like lazy and over trying to match our kits. So we didn't do that for the rest of the Olympics. But the first couple of days we were like just doing that stuff. And it was pretty fun. Like, we were a little bored those those first couple of days, but we we were in the big air venue village, so that was the village down in uh, in Beijing where we were the only snow sports 
uh, or like the only athletes to set sports. And then all the other athletes were ice skaters, so like figure skating, uh, speed skating, short track and all that stuff. So it's like athletes that we like never are around ever. So we were just like the first five days we were just like going out and like hanging and meeting like random people, which was super fun. So we were meeting like hockey players from different countries, ice skaters, and we like made a bunch of homies, which is pretty dope. And I feel like we were kind of like the odd ones out, like pretty noticeable, like wearing our gear that was like a little baggier and like just kitted a little different. And I feel like our our attitudes are a little different, like a lot more relaxed with like a lot of those sports. Like it's like heavy, you know, trading regiment, like people are real focused, real serious. So being the odd ones out was kind of funny because like people would always be hyped and like come up and talk to us and be like, oh, you guys are like the skiers in town, right? So it was like, it was, that was pretty cool. I think we all had a good time just getting to, getting to know a bunch of other athletes those first couple of days. Yeah. What other countries had some good, uh, had some good kits? Damn, there's a bunch of fire kits. Canada got kitted by Lululemon, which was sick. <laughs> they were all balling and like pretty nice stuff. And then what else? I mean, a, a, a lot of the countries get really dope stuff. I think Canada's probably had the, like the sickest amount of gear and like just like different fits and stuff but there was like a lot of the opening ceremony stuff's like funny to look at like the u.s always just goes like way over the top trying to be like fashion with it and stuff so like we were looking like i don't know nasa space people in the opening ceremony kits which is pretty funny and like a lot of the other countries keep it way more low-key which i think is pretty sick but then there's like some like kazakhstan had some crazy opening ceremony kits. We like got some photos of some of the Kazakhstan people because they were looking like the like, especially like the flag bearers had like these full emperor looking like crazy outfits, like so fancy and extravagant. So it's cool to see like where countries go with it. Like some countries are definitely all about like keeping it way more mellow and low key and so you know it's not about the fashion or the kit and then there's countries like the u.s they're just like all right we got to do this like bigger than better than everyone else <laughs> oh that's funny man and so i so like in terms of pre like getting to the event and then opening ceremonies and all that how did this compare to to pyeongchang in 2018 i've like gotten this question from like just some friends and family and like I don't even really know I don't really remember that much from the last Olympics honestly but um it felt pretty similar honestly I mean you know with COVID we were like wearing masks everywhere and getting COVID tested every single morning so that was like kind of different but in terms of the opening ceremony it felt like similar-ish I would say and like getting to and from venues like there's all these specific buses and like Olympic buses that you that you take to get to and from places and this time around was a little different because we had to like stay in what they call like the olympic bubble so we couldn't leave like like you get on a bus and go somewhere but like you'd still technically be in the olympic bubble so everyone around you was tested like all the employees and stuff so we never like got out of that specific bubble whereas like in korea like i was able to i went skiing a couple days like local resorts that sort of stuff so we weren't able to do that but i mean it felt normal I'd say from from what I experienced last time, it was pretty comparable. Yeah, is it true that like uh, like Tinder's popping off in the Olympic Village? I'm sure this year's different with COVID, but like, is it usually going nuts? 
Um, I don't even know. I, I have girlfriends. So I, I didn't, I wasn't on Tinder, but I've heard that. I didn't really notice, honestly, in Korea, it seemed pretty, pretty mellow from what I can remember. And then this time around, I don't know, it probably was, probably was popping, but like everyone was so strict on COVID and especially everyone else's teams was so strict on COVID that like, I don't think anyone was like hanging out between teams. Cause it was just like, no one wanted to test positive you know right before the olympics or put anyone else in a tough spot so um yeah i don't know how much hanging out there was going on honestly it was like a little more reserved i'd say yeah definitely damn yeah it's just it's a bummer that it all had to take place during covid because that must have been a huge pain in the ass yeah for sure but honestly it was less less bad than i thought like yeah the dining hall looked insane with like these glass plexiglass windows between everyone like these sectioned off like little zones it was like kind of crazy looking but all things considered like getting yeah getting covid tested every morning kind of sucked but like i was still able to hang out with like most people wanted to hang out with and like at the dining hall the main place we'd go there to like talk to people or like there was game rooms that you could go hang out with you know at and there was like pool and ping pong and all this stuff so we'd go play ping pong with a bunch of people so it wasn't as strict as i thought it'd be and i honestly didn't it personally didn't really affect my like experience that much i thought like it was a little weird with like less spectators at a lot of events and that sort of stuff but like i still had a great time and like it didn't affect my experience too much that's sick so in terms of uh because you mentioned the dining hall in terms of like food. I know that when professional teams travel, they'll bring like a chef and like they'll like they'll just have like a, a pretty strict like regular diet. Did the US team do anything like that or you guys eat in whatever the IOC is providing for however long you're there? So yeah, last time in Korea they brought a chef and like there's this place we could go to and like they'd have cooked meals and stuff, but this time around I think cuz they China kept it so strict with allowing you know, a specific amount of people to come that the U.S. team couldn't just bring a ton of people. So we were just eating dining food meals, which was like same as last time. Like the dining hall is like, it's good enough and there's a ton of options, but by like week two, you're pretty over it, you know? So that was fine. And then we had this place that was called like the Team USA headquarters, or I forget what it was called exactly, but it was like, this apartment in one of the athlete buildings where we could go and there was like we could go do pt there and like go hang out there was like a room to watch you know events out with like a nice tv and that sort of stuff and they had like a ton of snacks and different camping meals that like you just put boiling water in and those are honestly like pretty good so we'd like do the dining hall sometimes do the camping meals sometimes so we'd like try and switch it up but the food was was mediocre for sure but nothing less good than the last time yeah is it all like asian cuisine or do you get some variety no it's, it was pretty much like everything they got a bunch of different stations they got they had a lot of, i mean a lot of asian food but they had like pasta no never really any like burgers or any of that sort of stuff like they had pasta pizza other random things salad like they got pretty much everything you're looking for just like by the end of it you're kind of sick of it and like the main thing for me was the eggs like the eggs were you know i don't know like i'm not a big i mean i like eggs but like when they're mass produced like these huge things where you just like scrape them out it's kind of gnar and like 
the bacon was a little bit gnarly too. So by like the second or third week, I couldn't even like look at the eggs without like not like it would just make me so like it was so unappetizing to look at the eggs. So that was the main thing I like stopped eating was breakfast or I'd have like a little bit of cereal or something, but I couldn't do the eggs anymore by the end. Like I remember specifically like one of the days before slope style, like near the end of our time there, like I was eating some eggs and bacon for breakfast and I just like looked at them and like, I don't know, they were just grossing me out. And so I put them to the side and I was like eating some fruit or something and the eggs were just like sitting there in front of my face and I had to like go and, and like, throw them out because I, I like I couldn't focus on my food because the eggs I just kept looking at the eggs and was so not down to them <laughs> that is funny dude yeah so I, <laughs> I, I after that one I didn't I didn't mess with the eggs anymore after that one damn so I mean so you look from our perspective like on tv the big air venue looked like you guys were like, and I know, and I know that this isn't the case, but you, it looked like you guys were like in this industrial wasteland completely removed from the mountains. So did you guys have like two hubs for, for competing? Yeah. So big air was, was in the city. So we were at the, they called it the Beijing village. And then slope style was up in the mountains um, at the Zhang Zhikao village. I think, I don't even know how you pronounce it. Something like that. Um, and they were like it was like a four hour bus ride between them it was pretty far or like three or four hours but the bus goes like really slow so I think by train or by like normal car it takes like two hours but um, yeah the big air venue was in like this crazy um, shut down I think it was a steel factory um, and I yeah we were looking at we we're seeing all the memes and stuff about the venue it was so funny but we were talking about how like everyone was freaking out that it wasn't in real mountains on real snow, but like that's big areas are always like that. Like we always have city big areas. You're like, we we've had city big areas in Atlanta, Georgia before. So like, it's not that different in that aspect to where we're skied in places that don't have any snow, but I think that's why they do, you know, that's, what's cool about it is bringing these venues to, I mean, in this case, no one could really come watch, but like having a big air venue in Atlanta, Georgia is sick because none of those people ever watch skiing and it's right in the city. So it's so easy to come to. And yeah, it looks weird to be skiing at a place that doesn't have any snow. And I know a lot of people are like hating on that, but it's really just pretty cool. I think to bring it somewhere where it's a lot more accessible for a viewer. And for sure, it was a little weird to have in like a rundown factory that like, I guess looked ugly on video on this huge smokestacks in the background, but and I don't know if this is what they're actually doing, but to me, when we were driving through this, because you come through and drive through this factory area, kind of the big areas at the back end, and who knows if this is something that they tried to make it look like or was actually going on, but this old factory that's shut down, it seems like they're trying to re repurpose a lot of it. So they got the big air venue in the back corner and then they were doing construction and like a lot of these places, they were kind of re redoing the bottom floors of these big buildings and putting like nice big glass windows in them and stuff and to me it looked more like a they were going to put like almost like a an outlets there or something it, it's kind of like the vibe i was getting from it so it seemed like in you know by this summer and like a year or something trying to have like a whole outlets area and despite it being like the big structures are pretty ugly i mean i think they're actually pretty like incredible to look at like they're really pretty crazy huge structures but there's a lot of 
free land between these places and they're like they have really nice big lawns and stuff so it seems like it's a place they want to try and turn into like a hangout and like an outlets and people to go and there's like a bunch of parks and stuff in the area so the vibe i was getting is they're trying to repurpose it. i don't know if that's what they're actually doing but so i thought that was that was pretty cool and i know it was kind of crazy looking on tv but um i was i was stoked that it was seemed like they were trying to repurpose a space that otherwise wasn't going to be used and and for the venue itself like the jump was so good for being a because usually these scaffolding city big areas are really like sketch and not good at all but since this one's like this crazy big cement permanent structure the jump was really good it like wasn't quite as good as a normal jump like you know on a mountain like a really good like the x games big air jump it was a little smaller but it was still so good and I hope they, you know, keep using that venue because they put so much money, obviously, into building this huge permanent structure that I'd love to see it get used. And we were talking to some locals and like some of the Chinese coaches and they were saying they weren't sure if it was going to get used. But that would be like my main kind of wish is that if they're going to build something this crazy and this extravagant, like at least they should use it for like a World Cup every year, like maybe the Chinese team can like train on it or something, but like try and make it um have a have a purpose in some sort of way and not just build this huge crazy structure for one use at the olympics because that's what happens a lot of times with the olympics which is kind of a bummer mm-hmm. yeah dude i don't know the the reaction was just ridiculous like it's it, it seemed like people were upset that uh they were upset that there was scaffolding in a city which is just like 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 they build scaffolding structures for skiing like you said all the time or they were upset that they were like repurposing an industrial area, which isn't that what you want to happen. So I, I just did not understand, uh, apart from it looking ugly on TV sometimes, I did not understand like the negative reaction to that at all. Yeah, for sure. It was it was entertaining though. I think it was it was pretty dope. It was it was funny and it was sick. It like blew big air, the big air venue up, like maybe in a in a bad way, but like got like so much media attention. And I think it's just also what I realized later was like a lot of us know there's city big airs and scaffolding events, but like to the average viewer who only watches freestyle skiing once every four years in the Olympics, like they don't know that, you know, so they think it should be up on a mountain. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot of people also who don't know a whole lot about our sport getting like super opinionated, which is pretty funny. Um, but I, I get it. Though. It did look like we were like jumping over a nuclear plant. So <laughs> yeah, dude. So, so you're in the city and, uh, in the research I've done, you talk a lot about like confidence in events and like how that, how that's a huge part of it. So did getting eighth in big air, like affect your confidence going into slope style? Um, I don't know if it affected my confidence that much for sure. Like right after that event, for like, I'd say like two hours, I was pretty bummed because I qualified second into finals and like, I knew I had the tricks. That's what's like, kind of nice about big air is like you either know if you have the tricks you pretty much know if you have the tricks to podium or not like obviously it depends who lands and like people always learn new things you learn new things but like i'd say for the most part big air is easier to be consistent at and like easier to podium because you know what you have to do and like you got a pretty good shot at landing it because it's just you know one jump or or this format where it's two out of three but still you're just competing on one big jump versus a whole slope course so um it was definitely tough especially because i i did it i felt i like messed up my first run and then my second run i got a good dub 19 and then my third one i was really on the edge like i honestly i didn't know what trick i was doing until about 10 seconds before dropping it was either going to be a switch 18 or switch 21 and 
I think the Switch 18 would have put me real like out. I probably would have gotten into like second or third, but then there was still a couple more people to drop. So I figured if I got went into second or third, I might get bumped down to fourth or something. So I was kind of like, oh, do I play it safe and like maybe get second, third, or like maybe get to bump to fourth? Or do I just like, fuck it, like I'm just going to go for it, like do my hardest trick, the biggest thing I can throw. And like maybe I'll still only go into second or third, or maybe I'll somehow go into first, or maybe I'll fall. And then like right before dropping, like I was up there with Dave and he was like, dude, like just go for it, bro. And I was like, yeah, I mean, who am I kidding? Like I'm just going to go for it. It's like stupid to try and play strategy and like stick with the safe trick and get second or third, or maybe get bumped to fourth. You know, like I'd rather just leave it all on the table, like go for my hardest trick. And like, if it works out, it does. And if it doesn't like, fuck it, at least I tried. And it was a bummer. Cause I was so damn close to landing that I was like, I needed like three more inches of airtime. I like almost landed it. So I was like pretty, pretty bummed right after I was like, damn, that's, that's heavy. Like I could have just probably gotten an Olympic medal if I just landed that stupid jump or like did the easier one. And that's, I think the main thing that killed me was like, I kept thinking like, damn, I should have just done the easier trick. And I maybe could have podium, but then like after it had all settled, like a couple hours later that evening, I kind of just like thought about it a little more and I was like, nah, it's, it's all good. Like I'm hyped. I went for it. And, and it was crazy because our turnaround was, so we competed in big air that afternoon. And then our first slow practice was the next morning. And we had to go back to the Beijing village, get all of our shit, put it on a bus and take a four hour bus ride. So it was like the most hectic, like we got done competing instantly, packed our shit up and then like took a bus up to this village and like didn't get up to the upper village until like 11 p.m. And then had to find our like apartment that we were staying at and like get all of our bags there and like figure out this village that we hadn't been to yet. Because like you get dialed on like the village, like where the dining hall is, where you got to catch your bus and all this stuff. And so it was just so hectic, like such a quick turnaround to that slope event that I think it didn't give me any time to like be bummed on it or dwell on it. I was just like, Oh damn, like I gotta like get ready for slope. And then the next morning I was ready on the slope course. So I didn't really have any time to, to think about it too much, but for sure, like in that, that brief period right after I was like, ah, oh, like that was, it felt like big air was like the easier metal to get, if that makes sense, just because I knew I had the tricks and like I'd done well at the couple of big air events before and big air is a little more, or a little easier to be consistent at. So it felt like I missed my shot to get like the, the more consistent metal, if that makes any sense. So then I, I maybe, I guess I put a little more pressure on slope, but I think in, in retrospect, maybe it was a good thing. Cause it just made me like get out there and like want to even more. Like I just want to go out and like ski my best because I didn't end up skiing my best in big air and fell on that one trick. So I, I was kind of just hungry. I think which, which helped me and kind of made it all work out. Mm -hmm. And so so you had that quick turnaround and then so what like what were your thoughts on the slope style course i'm sure at that point you had already seen like a little preview of it right yeah so i'd seen a little preview of it but um not a whole lot i wasn't so they came out with that olympic um whatever course preview a couple months ago like a couple months before the olympics and we were still like in our qualifying events so like i didn't even know if i was going to the olympics and like couple guys had already qualified but like everyone was looking at this 3d course and like talking about the tricks and blah 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 and i remember just being like the opposite i was like dude i do not want to look at that course like i'm gonna it doesn't matter like what i see on like it's always different in person you know it's never like it is on the 3d preview so i was like 
I want to just not look at this 3D on the computer and just show up in person, you know, and, and figure it out when I get there. So I honestly didn't know a whole lot. I, I knew the, the basics. I knew, you know, and, and we watched snowboarding, um, which was during our big air event. They had the snowboard slope style and we flip-flopped after. So we watched a bunch of the snowboard runs. So by that point, I definitely knew what was on the course, but I hadn't like planned anything yet. Um, so the first day was definitely overwhelming. I and mean, we had an early practice. It was like pretty cold. It wasn't freezing by that point yet. We got lucky. Our first two days on the slow course were actually still kind of warm because this warm, little warm period had hit China. Um, so that was nice that it wasn't freezing. But yeah, overwhelmed for sure. It was tough, like managing the speed was really hard because it was pretty windy and that course is real steep and icy so like you had to be pretty on point with like knowing your speed and stuff and the first day or two I was like either knuckling or overshooting the jump so that was that was pretty hard to like figure out figure out mainly the speed and then the rails were really long and, and pretty pretty intense too so a little overwhelmed the first two days but it was sick because they gave us three full practice days which usually we only get two at world cups so they gave us three practice days and then our whole schedule got shifted back a day because it snowed a bunch. And I think locals were telling us it's the most it's snowed in one storm in 12 years. It snowed like four inches or something. Like it, it barely snows there, you know? So it snowed like four or five inches overnight and then girls qualities got pushed back a day and then that ended up pushing everything back. So girls qualities, their finals, then our qualities and our finals all got pushed back one day but they squeezed in extra training or an extra practice in for us on the girls quality day before our quality day. So we ended up actually getting four days on the course before we had to um, do our first quality runs, which is pretty sick. Mm -hmm. So like across all the days and like all the qualifications, like how many times are you hitting this course before you're actually like competing? Yeah. I mean, it depends on, on the event, but I mean, at this one, they had a pretty sweet lift that was a roughly the same length as the course a little longer so that's a huge thing is like having a, a good way of lapping the course but yeah this one had a nice lift so we were getting pretty quick laps and it's nice at the olympics because i think there's only 30 guys in the slope event versus world cups there's like 60 or 70 and sometimes like at a place like mammoth where the lift is really fast like there's a huge jam up at the top of the course so like you get way less laps but this time around like we we'd get to the top course and pretty much were able to lap through like right away. So we got a ton of practice. I mean, I don't know how many runs exactly, but it was like two or three hours a day. Um, and then except for that fourth day, we only had like an hour, but plenty of laps to try and figure everything out. Even though like I still didn't really, it took me like forever to figure out my runs, but um, yeah, a lot of time, which was sick. I think if we would have only gotten like two days with fewer laps, I think a lot of us would have struggled, struggled pretty hard. Mm -hmm. so you get to the finals for this event and dude the the first run you just you just lace it like what was your what was going through your mind before during and after because it was just it, it it literally couldn't have gone better yeah no I was I was hyped um so for yeah for qualies I like did a pretty chill run because I knew it was a hard course and I also realized like there weren't a ton of us in the event so I was like all right I just want to put down like a chill clean run and like, hopefully that gets me through. And so I did a nice, my first run quality got a nice run and then, which was nice, but then it also made it stressful. Cause then in finals that morning, we had like 40 minutes of practice. So not a ton, probably five laps, four laps or five laps. And 
I wanted, I knew my quality run was pretty mellow. So I wanted to switch up so much of my run for finals that I, it was kind of overwhelming. I didn't know if I'd like be able to do a lot of the tricks and like, I didn't really have a backup plan if they didn't work. So I was kind of just like, damn, I just got to go for it. And I don't have a lot of runs, but, um, but yeah, for like a lot of those tricks, like the third rail, um, the first jump and the last jump and like, and the second rail actually also like a lot of those tricks I'd either never done or I hadn't done that whole week or I'd only done once or twice. So then it was like piecing together this full run that I hadn't really done before. But my main thought was kind of that in finals, we have three tries. So I might as well just go for like the hardest run I can think of. And then you know, hopefully I can land it in three tries. And my thought with this run was like, all right, I have three tries to land it. Like, hopefully I land it. But honestly, like my hopes weren't that high. Like I was, I mean, I wasn't like not thinking I was going to land, but I definitely like I knew there was a possibility I wouldn't land a run, that run with three tries because it was such a hard run for me. And um, just like a lot of the parts, like the dub 16 on the first jump or the even the like the dub nine prets or the dub 10 prets one, um, on the last jump, I didn't do that trick until that morning. I did it like once in practice on the, my final practice lap. So I like, at least I got under my belt one time before the comp, but I was like, damn, like I have not done this trick a lot. And even like this whole season, I've only done that trick a couple times. So I'm not super good at it yet. Like it's, it's super hard for me. Like a lot of time I'll just end up going 10. Like I can't do the pretzel. And it wasn't like a worry of whether I'd get hurt or not doing that trick. It's just whether I'd go 10 or nine. Cause I knew like, if I didn't get the pretzel, it's like a make or break. Like it ruins my whole run. Cause that tricks, it's just a dub 10, you know? So that was, I think my biggest fear was landing this full perfect run, getting to the last jump where like the speed was really hard to read. Cause there was a ton of speed and it was windy and icy. So you had to like speed check a lot, but you didn't want to speed check too much. And with that trick specifically, the, the dub 10 prets, like it's so speed dependent that trick because I got to do the pretzel at the perfect moment in the air before I land to like not keep spinning. So it's like really sensitive to how much air time I have. And that was my main fear is like going off the jump and not knowing my speed and having like way too much air time and, and trying to do the pretzel, but then still going 1080. Um, and I think that was really nerve wracking, just like at the top dropping and like, damn, like if I lace this whole run, and come down this last jump and I mess up this last jump, like I'm going to be so mad at myself. And yeah, I don't know. It somehow just like worked out on that first run, it, like my reaction. So like, I was like hype, like did some stupid claim and then like get down the bottom. And I just like was sitting against the fence with my head and I was like, for like 10 seconds, just sitting there thinking like I do not believe I just like I don't know how I just landed like that was crazy and like because like for a lot of people like you watch them in practice like someone like Andre or Nick like they'll do their run a million times in practice because they're so dialed on a lot of their jump tricks and rail tricks and they come in with like a really specific plan that they'll do their run so many times that they probably are going to land it but I think a lot some of us and myself included take a a little different approach maybe we're just not as good I don't know but like I didn't do my full run a single time except for that run that I won the Olympics with so it was like pretty crazy that it just like worked out and happened to to land like the full pole like I'd done the different elements of it but like to do it all in one go was just like crazy to me and I don't know I was just hyped it worked and I was also nervous like on the first run I was like damn I just landed that first run because like generally if you land something late 
and like pull a clutch move like sometimes you'll get scored a little better you know just because like the judges are hyped or whatever so I was a little worried I was like damn like I did that first run and everyone still has like two more runs to do to try and beat it so I, I was like yeah definitely someone could beat me um and it was hard because I was on this crazy adrenaline high from landing that run to like refocus for the second and third run and I wish I would have landed an even better run I wanted to like try and up my rails a little bit and ended up not happening but um yeah still hyped it you know worked out and I mean you always want to try and do a better run but for me that's I'm just stoked because it's the best run I've ever done on a slope course and I'm I'm glad it it worked out being at the Olympics so yeah that's so sick that's so sick and like so during your during the run itself because you said you're not practicing this run over and over again so it's not like true muscle memory where you could just shut your brain off you're like yep spin this way spin this way look that way what's going through your mind are you like what's going through your mind in between features specifically especially if you're kind of figuring out the run as you go i think the main thing is so for like all the individual tricks like there's definitely muscle memory there because i've done them at least you know once in the practice days or like i've done them that season a couple times so you, i try and like you definitely try and just get in like this flow state where you're not overthinking everything but i think for the this course specifically in like the olympics was for me the thing the main thing was speed management so like knowing my speed between features so i was really focused on like getting the right speed checks and like making sure i was at least looking at a flag on the knuckle or like i mean generally you can like feel if there's a headwind or a tailwind and you just kind of get you know you get that feeling after just skiing enough and so that was the main thing is knowing my speed because i knew i could do my tricks if i had the right speed but just like managing the speed and for the most part, I think I was just flowing through the course and like not overthinking it, except for that last jump. Like I specifically remember landing my second to last jump and like coming in and like speed checking and being like, oh man, like, I don't know. I hope this is the right speed, but like, I don't know if it's the right speed. And then like right off the takeoff, I could tell I was like, oh damn, like I'm pretty slow. Like, I hope I don't knuckle. And you can tell like in my winning run, i I just barely make it over the last jump. Like I didn't go very big, which ended up working perfectly like for the trick. Like the amount of airtime was perfect for the pretzel. But um, yeah, I was definitely worried in the air. I was like, oh man, I hope I don't knock this thing right now. Cause it, it was tough. That wind was like swirling. It was, it was a headwind. It was a tailwind. Like you never really knew which direction it was coming from. Yeah, that's sick. And so like one of the, one of the problems with the run was that it was so early and so you had to wait for everyone. So I was like, I was at home watching it, like texting my buds, like, all right, like a hall's Garrett, like at this point, he's guaranteed a, a third. All right. At this point, he's guaranteed a second. Like, was that in your mind at all watching these, like these final runs take place where you're like, all right, well, at least I'm on the podium, but like Andre, still, uh, Andre Rigetli still has to go and he might, you know, pull something out of, out of nowhere and get first. Like, were you thinking that the whole time? For sure. I mean, right after landing my run, like going back, I was like, damn, like I landed that early. Like there's so many good runs to come, but also I was like, okay, I got, I still got my two runs, you know, I want to up this run. Um, but then after I messed up that last run and I was just waiting for like, you know, there's like five more people to go. I mean, obviously it was nerve wracking. Like I was waiting, like, damn, like who knows, hopefully I have podium, like, but like, you don't know. But then also I remember like a specific point, I forget after who it was that dropped, like someone dropped and they didn't get the score. And then at that point I was just like, 
you know what? Like, it's not worth being like crazy stressed about this. Cause there's nothing I can do. Like, I'm just watching, like, it's not yeah. going to change anything. So like, I was definitely still stressed, but a certain point, like the last four guys, I was just watching, like, you know what, like if they lace up an insane run and beat me, then like they did a better run than me, you know, like they skied better. So like, that's part of our sport and that's all good. But I mean, obviously I want a podium, you know, or win or whatever, but um yeah, it was nerve wracking for a little, but then I kind of just chilled out and I was just watching, having a good time. And, you know, a bunch of the other homies were down there while we were all watching together. So um, just talking to them, like being stoked and like, obviously hoping I'd do well, but you never know. And, and I knew like all the guys dropping at the end, you know, Burke, Andre, Colby, Jesper, like all those guys are so, and Nick, like so good that I knew any of them, you know, if they landed like their perfect run could probably, you know, beat me or get close. But also I knew that the score I was sitting on was a really good score because it was section by section judging. And generally when they do that judging, it's really hard to get a 90 because of just the way it works out with the judging the sections and the overall, and they like add up all these different scores. And so like, if you're sitting, you know, in the mid eighties, like that's even a good score. So I knew like when I, I'm, I'm, that was more earlier though. Like as soon as I got that, that uh, score after landing that first run and I saw it was a 90, I was like, damn, like that's a, like I had no clue where they were going to score. I was like, am I getting an 80 or like mid 80 or 90? And as soon as I got a 90, I was like, damn, that's a, that's a big score for section by section scoring like that that could hold for a podium for sure this whole event like because the 90 is really hard to get and so I was definitely like sitting on that but I also knew I mean you know everyone's so good nowadays like there's no you're never safe with anyone like anyone in these finals could could you know have the winning run if it's their day yeah and so when the result actually came through and you're like dude I just won the Olympic gold what were you thinking I was hyped like in the moment it didn't really hit me I was just kind of like I was stoked like all the boys were so hyped for me which was sick like Mac Colby all those guys and then like all the coaches came down and there's a bunch of other people watching like from from the team and stuff so I was just hyped to share that moment with them and and sharing that moment with Nick was really cool I was so stoked for him like three Olympics in a row with a medal is pretty insane. I mean, I think that's going to be real hard for anyone to do, especially, I think, I mean, Dave has it in slow in uh, half pipe. Um, but I think in slope style, it's such a tough thing to do because slope courses are always changing and it's so hard to be consistent in slope style and like lay a, a clean top to bottom run. So for Nick to like clutch that up three times in a row is, is pretty insane. Like really, really impressive. So I was hyped to share that moment with him. And then, um obviously seeing Jesper in third was like got me so juiced because I feel like he always gets you know either unlucky with the scoring or just unlucky with his performance because he's such a good skier so sharing that with him was like really special too so I couldn't be like I was just like stoked to be up there with those guys and share it with those boys and then I don't know everything else hit a little later you know but even now like I think it's 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 like so cool and i'm i'm so stoked on how i did it and how it all played out and but like for a lot a lot of the time i feel like a lot of people other people think it's like way crazier than it is but like in the end like i still just ended up you know winning a ski comp that i was competing against all the other guys i usually compete against so it felt like i don't know i did well at a normal event in a way but then the stuff afterwards was kind of what made it crazy like 
the medal ceremony was really cool and like the, well there was a ceremony right after the slope event where we got like, got to like hold our flags they did the national anthem and stuff and then they did um a medal ceremony that evening where we got our actual olympic medals um which was really cool and like a bunch of people came and watched and then you do like a psychotic media session like i think we got done with slope style at whatever it was, it was pretty early like 10 or 11 a.m and then between media and drug testing and press conferences i didn't get back home until 1 a.m i think that night so it was like 14 hours straight of just like random like interviews like on the today show like all this stuff um which was pretty crazy and like overwhelming so like i didn't check my phone until 1 a.m that night not once so like i had like so many missed calls and texts like i felt bad that i hadn't replied to anyone like 14 hours but and then i was so tired i just went to bed so i didn't like by the time i got through all my messages like by the time i just got through my messages it, it was like i'm pretty bad at that stuff like i'm not good at just like tackling all these messages so probably like two or three days later until i replied to everybody but like i tried my best and i think that was the crazy part just like the hype from everyone which was really cool but uh in terms of like the moment right after it felt pretty pretty regular i mean for sure you're like damn i just won the olympics so that's dope but um I don't know, nothing too crazy, you know. I was just hyped to be there with 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 people I was like stoked on and surrounded by people that, you know, care about me and that I care about. And like sharing that moment with those people is what made it special, you know, not all the other stuff. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking about that recently. Like the for skiing, like especially like like this brand of skiing, it's like this is kind of just like the same event that you guys always do. It's like the same field of competitors. It's just like it's only every four years so when it's time to perform like it's really time to perform but it seems like the fanfare around it is what makes it like an insane experience just because you know at the end of the day it's just a, a competition with the same dudes you always see but like the world reaction to it has got to just be nuts for sure i mean that was that's the coolest part and i have like my like second grade middle school or second grade whatever teacher from switzerland that i haven't talked to in 14 years like hit me up which is like pretty funny or like all these random people or like my parents are getting hit up by all their friends and like people they haven't heard of in years saying like they saw me on tv or like so like that stuff's all pretty funny and um it's really cool to see like i think it's just special to see how many people watch our event and i i get that it's a lot of people who probably only care about free skiing for the one day you know that those two hours that they watch our event but like that's what's so special about the olympics is hopefully getting to you know get some people stoked to to start free skiing or inspire some young kids to free ski and i think that's was one of the most special things i saw was messages i got from like not even or like maybe the kids themselves or like the parents saying like oh my you know eight-year-old daughter or son or 12-year-old son like watch you in the olympics and they're so hyped like they, they, they want to start free skiing now like those are the messages that were, were like the most special because um i think for a lot of us pro skiers that's that's a huge goal of ours is to inspire you know kids or people of any age just to have fun and go out there and ski so that was that was really cool that's super sick yeah and so i mean after that you were done you know no pipe for you which i've from the other interviews it seems like you have no interest in doing that so what was like you know you you, you take the gold and then what, what do you do how do you get back home and you know how do you wrap everything up there so yeah i got did the medal ceremony and then did a 
more media, got back super late, went to bed, slept in a little, but not to like maybe eight thirty or nine. And, um, then all my, a bunch of my gear was still up at the resort, which was like a 15 minute bus ride away. So I had to go to the resort and, um, get all my ski shit and bring it back to the village. Cause then we actually, cause our whole schedule got moved back a day. We had to leave the Olympic village by, by six, 4 PM or 6 PM that evening. So the next day I got up, like packed all my shit, did some more interview stuff. And then we actually went and watched ski pipe, um, qualies for the guys just to support our boys. And then, got back from that like packed up super quick and then got on the bus um like five hour bus ride back to beijing because our flight was at like 1 a.m that next day so we got to the airport at like 10 p.m or something and then checked all our bags so it was like super hectic turnaround kind of like it, it felt like it was like the same vibe as after big air to where um just like no time to relax at all and it, it i wish it almost like would have been nice to you know just chill in the village for like one or two more days and like watch pipe finals and like because we were all thinking about going to closing ceremonies but we just showed up so early that i think by the time we from when we landed in china to when we left was like a little over three weeks so we were just there for so long we were pretty ready to get out of there but it was mostly just hectic with like packing up travel a couple more interviews but um yeah nothing too crazy and then yeah insane travel day though like such a long travel day it was pretty brutal and we were all so tired just from like the event and like not sleeping a lot and then we like had a layer in tokyo and it was pretty pretty long travel day and then got back to salt lake at i don't even know in the evening at some i don't even know what time in the evening or, or afternoon at some point and it was like a massive welcome like at the gate which is pretty funny and then another big welcome like as soon as you get out of the doors you know past security there was like a ton of people and like media and stuff which was pretty pretty cool and, like my family came like colby a bunch of our families came to like meet us and stuff at the airport and um so we were just hanging with them and then like um my mom or so i forget someone like asked to see the medal and then I like pulled out the medal for them and like the media wanted me to show it and stuff so I had the medal and the next thing you know there's like a ton of people who are just leaving the airport who are seeing this commotion and then they see like I had a medal Colby had a medal and Nick had a medal so there's like three you know Olympic medals floating around and there's like the next thing you know I was there like for I don't know a couple hours just like talking to people and like meeting people and then like had to like because my i hadn't even grabbed my bags yet so i had to go grab my bags from like a back room because like they were on the belt for so long you know so we were just stuck at the airport for a while just talking to random random people who were stoked and like like a million people took a selfie with my medal and stuff which was pretty funny um but yeah definitely hectic and then just got back to salt lake and just chilled yeah <laughs> for, for like two days though not too long and then got going again when like when you finally got back to your place and like slept in your bed did it like hit you at all or you're like or were you just thinking i'm so glad i'm done traveling yeah i was more just like dude i'm so tired like i'm just hyped to be in my own bed i slept i slept like pretty good not amazing i was crazy jet lagged but no yeah i was just hyped to get back like my parents were home 
um, well, they still live in Switzerland actually, but they're visiting in the U.S. for a couple of weeks. And my mom like cooked me some food. I was just hyped to eat like my mom's food and um, hung out with a couple of my friends, then went to bed and went skiing the next day. <laughs> That's sick. No crazy like media. Like a lot of people have been asking me whether I like I'm gonna go to New York or do this crazy media tour. And like there's talks about me going to New York for like a couple media events, but I ended up just kind of not wanting to do too much of them and just wanted to be home and, and ski and you know keep the season rolling so none of that crazy stuff for me yet yeah like no today show or no like i did the today show right at like that evening but no like in person you know today show or like the late night or whatever those shows are that some people go on so mm-hmm. yeah none of that stuff pretty mellow which has been nice yeah it would kind of be sick to see you on like one of those late night goofy like Jimmy Fallon type shows. For sure. No, I'd be <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd for sure be down um, if, you know, one of those shows wanted to have me on. But no hard feelings. If not, I'm totally content with just skiing and, and hanging out. Yeah. So like when when you get your medal, because I know this is the case for like Emmys and, and some stuff like in the production world. Do they give you like a big information packet about like, hey, if your metal gets like lost, stolen, damaged, this is what you can do for it? Or is it literally just a hunk of metal and it's like, yep, good luck? Yeah, no, no information about that stuff. I was kind of thinking about it like, damn, what if I lose this thing or something? But no, yeah, no information, just a hunk of metal. And then later you get like a, they like someone, I don't even know how I got it. Someone brought me a box that you like, a metal box you can put it in if you want to like put it in there. So. But yeah, just a just piece of metal, and who knows what happens if I lose it. But <laughs> dude, you had to like put that in like a, a bank safety deposit, like safety deposit think, box or something. <laughs> I think that's what Nick does with his metals. He's got them all in like a safe or something. Yeah, but, uh, I don't have any safe for mine. Just like hide it somewhere in my house or something. It's yeah. kind of a bummer too. Like you get this metal, and then you just go and like lock it away or hide it, you know. But I don't know. Yeah, it's just sitting somewhere somewhere hidden <laughs> yeah sick dude so what's next i saw you and hunter riding together looks like you guys were just chilling like do you have any any plans on your plate right now or is it just cooling down um yeah nothing too crazy yeah i was home for like two days and then it snowed in denver so we we were like damn we should rally to denver so we hunter and myself and then cody laplant mac forehand and cody ray all went out to Denver for a week and hit street because they had snow and then it all melted by Monday. So Hunter and I uh, left on Tuesday morning or no, it all melted by Sunday. So we left on Monday morning um, out of Denver and I uh, got back to Salt Lake for two days. It was gorgeous, like scary weather, like so warm for, I mean, it wasn't even March yet and it was like 65 in the city and like fully slushy at the resorts which was like insanely fun but also a little scary so but yeah just the last two days just skied like crazy like skied park city from 10 to 4 um till closing and then went to woodward on the way back to salt lake and skied from like four to six so we were skiing like i don't know six to eight hours the last couple days just like so fun and then now, I'm, yeah, now I'm on the East Coast, um, spent two days at home, flew to the East Coast to visit my girlfriend in Vermont for the weekend. And then I'm going to Europe for uh, a World Cup in France. So I'm doing that one. 
and then coming back to the East Coast for Steel City Showdown, uh, which I'm super hyped on, uh, Tom's event in Pennsylvania, and then flying back to back to Europe for one more World Cup at the end of March, and then I'm staying over there for a while for some film shoots and stuff, and stopping by New York on the way for some media stuff, um, but yeah, so it's still kind of hectic, but I'm stoked to just keep it rolling. You know, I don't want to, like, I feel like it's it's nice to bask in the glory for a day or two, but then in the end, like, I'm still just trying to ski a bunch and enjoy my time while there's still snow. So it's not worth just, like, not doing anything. So I figured, yeah, I'll just keep the season, keep the season rolling per usual. And, you know, whether that's competing or filming, um, I'd, I'd like to film more street, but there's not a ton of snow. Now I know the East coast is has a bunch of snow, but um, some of my friends are going out in a little bit. And so I was maybe going to go with them, but I got to weigh, weigh my options with some of these events. I mean, I don't really need to compete or feel too much, you know, urge to compete, but it's a good time traveling with the boys. So if I got nothing else to do, I might as well do that. <laughs> yeah. Sick. So in terms of like uh, achievements, that are left on like your bucket list like where where the hell do you even go from here um i don't know i think that's that's kind of what's great about skiing and i think the way i view skiing is i don't really look at skiing in terms of trying to bucket these achievements and i think for a lot of sports that's kind of what you have to do if you want to get to the top or you know try and that's what drives you in some ways but it's not like i was like I got this crazy checklist on my phone. I got to win X games, got to win the Olympics and do all these things. It's more just like taking it as it is, keep skiing. I think my main thing is enjoying it. So as long as I'm enjoying it, I'll keep competing. As long as I enjoy filming, I'll keep doing that or, you know, skiing street and yeah, not planning too far ahead. Obviously the Olympics is super, super dope that that ended up working out and winning that one. But yeah, I think, definitely try and film as much as I can for the rest of the season and in the upcoming seasons try and do some filming get some sweet video projects going if possible and then yeah who knows I haven't even like thought about the future like the the next season yet so whatever brings me joy with uh with with skiing and kind of stick to those guns because there's not really uh any other reason to do it we you know, if we'd want to be making a ton of money, we'd probably, you know, try and do something else. So, uh, try and have fun with it and not overthink it. Sick. That's a good attitude. I like that. So we're getting close to, to our, uh, our cutoff. Do you have a little time for some listener questions? Yeah, for sure. All right. So this, this one was actually funny. I was talking to my buds last night and, uh, one of them was like, dude, you gotta ask him about how being tall impacts is skiing i'm like oh yeah I'm, I'm gonna check the listener questions like to see if anybody's asked that and literally as we were talking about that i had gotten three in a row so here's nice. three in a, here so here's three questions in a row uh about being tall so uh radical films asks how tall are you and he said as someone who is six seven he's very inspired by your skiing nice yeah i'm six four so i'm not there maybe getting close i don't know maybe six five i think six four though um but now i'm hyped i actually just i heard that from a kid the other day i was skiing pc and this kid came up to me who was six four and was just like telling me he was inspired by by 
me being tall and and um, still being decent at skiing. So, but yeah, no, I think it doesn't. I really think height doesn't affect you that much. I think finding big enough clothes is the biggest struggle. Like, you got to go, you know, dub X, trip X, or whatever. Sometimes I like see some on me. I'm like, damn, like that's like triple X, and it's still not big enough, which is like annoying sometimes. Like, getting the right clothes and like getting something to fit fit right can be tough. But in terms of your ability, I mean, I think it's it can't be that different. You know, I think sometimes I do feel like when it jumps small, I'm like, damn, I kind of wish I was like the size of like Mate unicorn, you know, like whatever five, two. And I could just like do a 16 on this. Cause he's like a little meatball flying through the air. But then also it's like, you, you really can like, if you need to do a big trick on it's like, you can still do it. You know, it's like, so I don't think it really affects me that much. Um, in terms of like what I can do I will say I think being tall like you maybe like my my back will get sore sometimes just because like you got you have such a long spine but I was more like back in back in the day honestly like knock on wood my my back has been a lot better the last couple years and so that's maybe one thing is just like managing your you just like staying healthy but overall I think anyone any size can can do tricks um, maybe not if you're like six eight or above i'm not sure about that then you get huge but um but for the most part i think it, it can't really make that big of a difference sick so that answer answers our buddy cooper's question about it impacting your skiing we have uh our flocka 66 <laughs> i don't even know if you'll have an answer to this who is your favorite tall skier growing up favorite tall skier um probably liam downey I think he's like he's six four, six five. He's somewhere in there. He's leaning down. He is he's a tall guy, and he's so smooth with it. He's got like the illest style still now. Like I think he's coaching up in Vermont, but like he posts like the sickest Insta clips all the time. And so he's really dope. Um, Bobby, you know Bob. Bobby's pretty tall. He was also one of the tall guys growing up. And uh, John Spriggs is a tall guy, but. I never like thought of myself self as like tall or like a pro skier being tall and that inspiring me. Like I just had like my favorite pro skiers. I never, until like people started bringing it up recently, I never thought of the fact that I was like a tall skier. Like, I don't know. I was just like a skier, you know? So I didn't really have like an inspirational tall guy skier. I just had skiers in general that inspired me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like basketball where like, like a short player can identify with like another short player. It's, I feel like, yeah no I mean it, it could be for people but I think just for me like it wasn't and maybe it's just because I was like oblivious to it or whatever but um I just yeah I was just inspired by a ton of different skiers not just tall ones yeah sick so uh Jack Jimenez asks uh skiing with or without music and if so what songs um I ski without music I've never skied with headphones ever um sometimes I'll like have some tunes in my in my pot like on my phone on speaker mode like in my pocket but it's like super quiet so I can only hear it when I'm going up the chairlift or like not moving but as soon as you're skiing like it's way too loud to hear the tunes and I I did that for a while like before dropping in I just like bust some tunes and like play them in my pocket like dropping in um I don't know just kind of get me in the zone or whatever but I haven't listened to music skiing in a long time and I don't really ski 
especially at comps, I don't ski with my phone. Like I'll put my phone in my backpack for the whole day and like not look at it just so I don't have any distractions and I'm just focusing on my skiing. And like the weight of the phone annoys me sometimes too. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a without kind of guy. Sick. All right. Uh, Wammerin, he asked, uh, favorite ski movie and favorite segment? Oh, man. There's like a billion. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like growing up, uh, some of the, the Wallish or B-Dog segments in the level one movies, like uh, Bill in, um, in iTrip or like Wallish and Refresh. Um, those are some classics, but then, I mean, I have too many favorites to pick, you know, some of the new stuff, like the Zoot Space movies, like not even a specific skier or segment, just like the whole piece or like a lot of the stuff that the bunch has made um, in the past or recently. I know that's a terrible answer, but I'd, I'd like, I truly don't have a favorite. Like there's way too many good skiers to pick a favorite. Yeah. All right. We'll take that. Uh, so yeah, we're just, we'll just keep hopping around because there's like, there's so many of these questions, so we won't be able to get to all of them. Um, Tom Crusoe, other than the U S what country has the most entertaining ski culture? I mean, all the Euro country, like central Europe's got hilarious ski culture, like Austria or Italy or Switzerland have like, or France too like hilarious just everyone's so down to ski like not i don't know about freestyle skiing but just skiing in general like the après scenes are insane in in switzerland and in like austria so yeah those places are, are fun to visit because people are down to ski and then places like you know finland are really cool because there's a lot of a lot of people skiing even if there's like not very good mountains or resorts so it's cool to see people just get it a little like little resorts and little lifts, kind of like a Midwest vibe or something. Sick. All right. Rolf asks, uh, what's your favorite trick in your real ski part? And since we're past real ski now, like what about a security notice if it's different? Um, favorite trick in my real ski. Um, in my real ski, I'd say it's like the, the right two onto that elbow and then double transfer on the two down rails just because I saw that rail and I was like, damn, some form of transfer would be sick. But then that one ended up working out and I was really hyped. It was like a nice mix between technicality, but not being like too crazy of a trick. Um, that one is probably my favorite. The hardest one I did was the switch cork six onto that long concrete ledge. That was just like, yeah, that's maybe my favorite also because it was just such a bitch to <laughs> land. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So, uh, Evan Rush XC, uh, which is more fulfilling winning real ski X games or Olympic gold more fulfilling. I think the most fulfilling one was probably real ski because you put so much work into this one project. Like obviously a slope style or a big air comp, like that's your whole life of becoming a good skier to like win that event. Um, but it's only, you know, 15 or 30 seconds of skiing, whereas real skis like you to win that event, you kind of have to be the best performing skier for three months straight to get the best clips over everyone else. So I think that one like means a lot because you got to really be on your game and you put so much work into that. Like it's, it's insane how much work you put into it. And 
it's not just you, it's so many other people that help you, which makes it really special and your filmer and your friends around you that help you get, you know, make the spots work. But then like something like, yeah, the first X Games medal was was really cool too, just because that was like a huge moment for me. I'd always watch the X Games growing up. Um, but in terms of yeah, fulfillment, I'd say it's the real ski. And that's funny because that's by far the smallest celebration for the medals. Yeah, I know, but that one's just means means a lot for sure. Yeah, that's sick. Um, uh, let's see, Tober Tober T underscore Rally. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong, buddy. Would you rather clean? Would you rather uh, hit every rail clean or stomp every jump? Um, in a slope run, every rail for sure. It's way harder to get all your rails clean. It's so easy to mess them up. So. When you lace like a really good, really hard rail run, it feels really, really good. Yeah. And so I've actually wondered that, like, once you guys get through the rail section, are you relieved that it's onto the jump section? Because it seems like most guys get tripped up in the rails. For sure. I think most of us, like the rails is the hardest part. For me, the jumps can be tough too, because I wouldn't consider myself like the most insane jumper. So like, I'll get through the rails and I'll still be like, Oh shit, I got to do these jumps, especially like somewhere at the Olympics where a lot of my jump tricks were really hard for me. But I think for a lot of us, the, the jumps are more consistent just because you don't have to like make it to the end of the, you know, with the rails, you got to get to the end perfectly. So, and for, yeah, a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of like the, I'd say a lot of maybe some of the Euro kids are like Andre, like it's get through the rails and they're on cruise control because they're so good at jumping. So I, I wish I was like that sometimes, but um, not always the case. Uh, Ankilla, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ankilla, but oh yeah, yeah, he'll <laughs> <laughs> like that you know who he is. Uh, so he's uh, he asks, what is the process you use in order to have consistency on uh, technical rail tricks? Um, I really know. I think I mean obviously like. I play to my strengths. There's like certain rail tricks I'm better at than others. But um, I think just it's weird because a lot of these rail tricks, like I don't even do that much in practice or like land a lot in practice, but I'm just like, I, it's something about like being in a competition and having to clutch up in an event just like makes you do it sometimes. But there's a ton of times where like in mammoth this year, the Olympics were like these rail runs. It's like the first time I land them is in the event somehow. So it's not even about like, I'm not even necessarily that consistent beforehand. It's just maybe getting lucky or having like the right mindset to just like force it. Like you just are like, I'm getting to the end of this rail. Like it doesn't matter what happens. So maybe it's those things, but um, yeah, not definitely not like the kind of guy who goes out and does the same trick a million times in practice because that doesn't really help me much. Yeah. All right. So Eric Quinn, hottest take, your hottest take, one ski related and one non-ski related. Hottest take. Oh, um, this is tough. Give me a sec here. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is a hot take, but like it just bothers me a lot i like fully get it and like i should probably do it too but like using lame ass music for licensing reasons on an edit that you're probably like not even going to make any like money on anyways because we don't get more than like a hundred thousand views just like is so annoying like just go out there and use a good song and then just tell them you don't have the right because you can do that on youtube now like you can use any song and you just tell them you don't have the rights 
and they'll play an ad on your thing and you won't make money from it. But like, who cares? You're going to make like $10 from a hundred thousand views or whatever. So yeah, using good music and not just like stupid lame beats that, cause that just ruins an edit. I like that one. That's a good take. Yeah. Um, and and not ski related. I don't know if you want to get into yeah, that. non ski related hot take. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to get in trouble for anything here. Um, <laughs> this isn't even a hot take. It's just, this is a funny opinion that just TikTok bothers me. <laughs> just, I, I did not zero, that. It, it kills creativity, TikTok. The only way you get famous is by copying what other people do or using like whatever song is trending. So not big into TikTok, but that's completely fine because people, you know, I'm down for people to do TikTok and have fun with TikTok. That's just why I don't have one. So but I'm not going to hold anyone back from not doing it. I just personally don't enjoy it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That was good. I like you played a safe, but it's still, it's still controversial. I like that. Yeah. I just, I don't want to, you know, piss anyone off. <laughs> All right. So, uh, these last ones. So S dot Vioni. So, uh, this person said they first saw you in the K2 video young guns back in 2015. Uh, what has motivated you since then and what continues to motivate you? Uh, I gotta, I gotta make a correction. I wasn't in that video. <laughs> I was gonna say, I didn't realize you were, I don't think you're ever on K2. No, no, that was, he's, I think he's talking about Colby or Andy or something. Yeah. But that's, that's not me. So I don't want to act like that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I thought you were a faction guy from the start. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. but that's a yeah. good question for Colby. If, if he's, if he's ever on or Andy or something. Yeah. So what's motivated you like throughout your career though? Um, I think the main thing that's motivated me over the years is like being a well-rounded skier. That's like always what I've strived for a long time. So like going and doing all these events, but then also filming and putting out a good video part as frequently as I can is like what I strive for and what is the most inspiring to me. Like when I see someone like, Henrik, who's won more events than anyone else and put out probably the best video parts out of anybody. Like that's so inspirational because it's really, really hard to be able to do, you know, both things at such a high level or not both is more than just two, but yeah, street skiing, pow skiing, you know, competing in slope style, big air, if you're savage enough, even half pipe. Um, but being just as well-rounded as you can, I think is, is really cool. And I think makes you stand out a lot, especially nowadays where you see, people, you know, go one way or the other, where it's either you compete a bunch or you film a bunch. And there's only a select few, I think, that are doing both right now. So I think that's what keeps me going. And what makes it really, really fun for me is, you know, dabbling with all these different assets and or, or all these different aspects of skiing. And uh, that pushes me, pushes me to, you know, do my best. And I think also pushes my skiing so much. There's so many things that translate between street skiing, pow skiing, competing, it, it all kind of links together. And um, that's what makes skiing so special is there's so many different ways you can approach it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it seems like you and you and Hunter have like that same mindset. Do you guys feed off each other with, hey, we're gonna both compete and then both film like, like, do you guys both feel that way independently? Or is it something that you guys influence on each other? Like, how did that come to be? I don't think we influence it on each other. I think we've just always both been like, super down with both um 
And a lot of the time we actually don't see each other too much in some of the comps because like pipe events and slope events will be in different locations sometimes and we're on different teams. Um, but I know, yeah, for Hunter, like he's on that same boat where he's trying to compete a bunch, but then also knows that like being, you know, making video parts and doing all that stuff is super valuable if you want to um, be a really good skier and I think be respected. So he, he's been grinding away at both for the last couple of years. And then that's why Magma has been so special because sometimes we're competing a lot and don't spend that much time together during the season. But then after we can go out in the spring and really, you know, go ham and stack a bunch of shots, which has been really fun the last couple of years. Yeah. And that's a great transition because this is, this is also a question I asked you when we were talking at X games right after your uh, big air run. So David Baird zero asked, are we going to see Magma three? Uh, I don't know. No plans right now, actually. Hunt and I are both just filming um, a, as much as we can. I think Hunter's doing his own two-year project that he filmed for a bunch last year. And I don't even know if I'm supposed to be saying this, but a bunch last year and a bunch this year, I'm sure it's fine. Um, but he's just been stacking crazy footage. So he's doing that. And then I've just been filming as much as I can without any plan. I figured I'd just film when I can get as many shots as I can figure the rest out later. That's kind of like been my, been my motivation. Like last year too, after real ski was done, I just kept filming, getting shots and figure the rest out after. So just stacking shots um, for sure. Not this year. Uh, Cause Hunter is doing that two year. We're both, I think we're both wanting to film though and go up to hood and like do a similar, like build a bunch of booters and maybe build some booters in Utah and then build some booters in, in hood but not necessarily for a project that we're doing together just like so he can use shots and i can use shots um for this season and then who knows next year what the cards hold whether we do uh yeah do magma three or some i mean hunt now always be filming together it just depends for what so but yeah if we get a good i think if we get a cool vision for another magma we'd maybe do it but maybe it'd be a little different, you know, have some street in there or a whole new approach, maybe something felt like after the second one, we'd kind of like hit the peak of like what we could do at that time. And like, we had the perfect window after COVID and so much time in our hands and like knew all these zones to build these jumps. So we kind of like maxed out. So we kind of wanted to take a break and then either whether it's the same thing or try a different approach, hopefully something happens in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, could you ever see uh, you, Hunter, and Owen going abroad and doing something? I would love to see like a Euro trip with Owen. We yeah, we for Magma Two actually, we wanted to go to uh, Sweden and film like up in Rick Scranson. Um, but then COVID hit and we couldn't do anything. But yeah, we definitely talked about that. I think doing some international would be really really fun. Um, try and make something work. That's with with all the boys traveling it's just about getting like you know budget and all that stuff because the first two magmas like we're all just on us you know like no no budget from sponsors or anything so just going out there doing it for the love and that's easy when you go to hood and we just spend you know a month in in a tent or in our car because it's it's cheap it's not expensive except for driving out there and same for when we filmed it in Utah, we were just staying at home filming every day. So it's a, it's not a very expensive thing to do. And as soon as you travel international, there's, you know, lodging flights and all that stuff. So if we could get funding for it, maybe, but 
uh that'll, that'll just kind of be a decision we make in the future but no no firm plans sweet all right last question uh Loch Ness Monster he says what would you recommend doing to get where you're at and that is a loaded question right there yeah I think I've gotten this question like or versions of it a couple times but I think I know it's like probably terrible advice and so cheesy but I think the only way you're ever going to get good is if you like truly enjoy skiing and like want to go out and ski every single day as much as you can ski and this is like the thing I always, always say is like I mean maybe it's my excuse for like not going to the gym or whatever because a ton of people go to the gym but when people ask me like, Oh, like you have to do cross training or dry land or go to the gym. And I like my answer is I was like, the only way you're going to become a better skier is by skiing, like doing a push up. Sure. It can help with injury prevention or whatever, but like to actually become a better skier, you just got to ski as much as you can. So having fun with it and like surrounding yourself with people who also love to ski, cause that's going to push you to, you know, push your skiing and become a better skier. And then also you know, finding the time, which is super tough, depending on where you live or your situation and um, finding the time to ski. And that's why I got so lucky that I was able to move to the US and, you know, go to a school that allowed me to ski more. But up until age 16, I was a weekend warrior. And like, I didn't even I never was even part of a, a club or had a coach until I joined the US team, pretty much. So I think that's what's so beautiful about our sport you can go out and do it on your own and watch videos online and do it with your friends and you don't need like the craziest time on your hands or facility like you just gotta get out and want to do it as much as you can and like you know i was skiing just on the weekends but then when it would snow at my house or like i'd build a summer setup or do anything i could to ski as much as as i can because um yeah that's what makes you the best skier you can be is spending time on your skis and nothing else really Sick. So that's all we got. Alex, thank you for coming on today. Congrats on everything, dude. It's been like so sick watching you like for the past, you know, over a year since, or I don't even know, like since Magma came out really is when I first started watching you. So it's just been, it's been a really sick journey to watch everything you've been doing. And I like definitely appreciate you coming on here and talking for a bit. For sure. Yeah, it was great chatting. No problem. Glad we, uh, glad we talked about it and hopefully hopefully talk about some interesting stuff for the listeners and hope they enjoy. Yeah. Sick.